Welcome to the Hunt the West podcast, where it's all about getting outside, experiencing the outdoors, and having epic adventures. At Hunt the West, my only goal is for you to get out and hunt. And today, we've got a different type of hunting that we're going to highlight. We're going to be talking a little bit about shed hunting with none other than Ben Dedamonte of Shed Crazy. Ben does one of the coolest YouTube channels that, one of my favorite YouTube channels called Shed Crazy, and he just documents all of his adventures in the outdoors. And during shed season, that's a big part of his content. So we're lucky enough to have him on the show just as we go into shed hunting at the beginning of 2020. But that's not all we talk about. Ben has a really inspiring story, and you're going to hear about how he quit his job to go shed hunting. And it's an awesome story. Um, Good to hear that. He's also got some really good advice for newer hunters. And we talk a little bit about role models and how YouTube is a unique platform for that. Um, We also get into uh, a story that he tells about a muzzleloader hunt for mule deer that didn't quite go as planned. And then, of course, we get into the shed hunting advice and a few of his tips to make you a more successful shed hunter. So let's just get right into it. Here's my conversation with Shed Crazy. All right, Ben, welcome to the Hunt the West podcast. So glad we could do this. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, you, I'm a big fan of your your YouTube channel, Shed Crazy. I've been on. I've been subscribed for a while, actually. Awesome. And so I'm I'm glad we could get you on there and talk a little bit about what you do and stuff like that. So. Cool, cool man i appreciate you following along with all the garbage i put on the internet <laughs> i enjoy it. it you're you're probably one of the funniest youtubers i i follow oh, <laughs> it's you. like super entertaining i appreciate um, it so tell us a little bit about how you grew up and how, how hunting played a role in your life and like how you got started hunting and stuff so i think that i mostly got into hunting just mo- like most people because of my dad and my grandpa they were both big time hunters whenever our family got together that was the topic of conversation is hunting stories and guns and I got obsessed with it at a young age a lot of it because I think that was the time I really got to spend with my dad when he felt like he could just kind of relax and have fun you know it seemed like he always had a lot on his plate with work and he was always really busy but when we got to go to the hills together it was like freedom for everybody and he would laugh and tell jokes we saw a whole nother side of him in in the hills and just I think it just, I fell in love with uh, the escape that it gave me from, from the real world and yeah. just the tradition of it. And our family was just every October you go to the elk hunt. That's what you do. That's cool. And what did your dad do for work? So my dad, he did a couple different things. Um, most of the time I was growing up, he was in lumber sales and uh, okay. he, yeah, sold lumber. And then uh, he started his own, well, he bought a business uh, doing granite about, God, it's been almost, 15 20 years ago now and he's been doing that ever since okay cool so man of his own work you know yeah yeah definitely he couldn't stand to have a boss just like me he couldn't stand it (laughs) yeah yeah um yeah uh talk about that a little bit because you um you have a really awesome inspiring story about how you because you do youtube full-time now like you don't have a traditional nine-to-five job Um, so tell us a little bit about that journey of how you, where you started and like what made you make the change and kind of your journey to 
becoming independent and like an entrepreneur and stuff? So it started when I was actually working for my dad. Um, a lot of times that I should have been probably working, I was playing around on my phone as you know, most lousy employees do. And, uh, I kind of started to, uh, I started seeing Instagram take off and my little brother was always talking how much Instagram was so much better than, than like what other social medias existed at the time. And so I started a, a hunting account on Instagram cause I thought it would be cool. I'd seen a couple other ones go and, uh, just made up a name and, and started just posting my shed hunting photos on this Instagram account and, um, got a different job, quit working for my dad. Um, got a job working for the school district, um, moved my family about a half hour south of where we were living and um, just started doing this job with the district. And it was always kind of a temporary thing. I figured, oh, I'll do this job for a little while. And then um, my plan was originally to be a paramedic firefighter. And so I was going to school and I figured I'd put myself through school, working this job with the district and, you know, get a job doing fire. And, uh, so I started this job and, and a part of this job was just like being there at the school at night when there was events and activities and I had a ton of free time and I put all that free time into just, you know, kind of growing my Instagram and I would spend every day that I wasn't in school or working, I would just be out picking up sheds and just getting all the antlers that I could and all the pictures that I could. And, um, it got to be where I was spending a lot of time on there at night and I never really, got to into like the funny side of things until, um, till a little later, my wife actually suggested that I start like actually posting some, I was always making stupid videos and I'd send them to my buddies or whatever, but she, she told me I should start posting some funnier stuff. And so when I started doing that, the Instagram really started to take off and grow. And after it grew and, um, I started to get some opportunities from, from different companies for like little sponsorships or maybe like a deal on gear and, it kind of opened my eyes to the potential of what it could be. And I just decided to throw everything I could into it. And after doing it for a couple of years, the following on Instagram grew and I decided that I was just going to quit my job and run with it. And my wife actually was the driving force in that as well. We were driving one day and I was whining about how much I hated my job. And she had just barely got a job, a good job, a teaching job. And she told me, that I either had to quit whining and crying about it or else I had to quit my job and do it full time. But either way, she was like sick of hearing about it. <laughs> okay, well, fine. I'll just quit my job. Then she said, fine, do it. Like she put me on the spot and I called my boss right there, put in my two weeks notice and quit my job. Dude, that's, so, that's epic. Yeah, it was, it was scary, but, um, we had been doing some, some financial stuff. We, put a lot of work into getting out of debt and we were out of debt and had some savings and she had a job. So I'm like, all right, there's not really that big of a risk, but we also had two little tiny kids and we said, whatever, we're just going to figure it out. We're going to make it happen. And ever since I've just been, been hustling and trying to make as many videos as I can and make deals with awesome companies that support me to where um, it is today. You know, my wife was able to quit her teaching job last year when she had our third kid and she's able to stay home with our boys now. So it's, uh, it's really turned into something special. And, That's um, awesome. when I quit my job was when I finally started the YouTube thing. Actually it was Eric Chesser. He, uh, I didn't know Eric that well at the time, but I was quitting my job and, and somebody, he caught wind of it somehow. And he called me the first time I ever talked to him on the phone. He's like, dude, you have to YouTube this. You have to YouTube you walking out of your job, telling people what your plans are. Like you have to put that out there to the universe and you have to put that out there to the people and they'll back you. 
So the first YouTube, like real YouTube video I ever posted was me just like clocking out my last shift at the school and just telling everybody my plans and walking out. And I've made pretty much a couple of YouTube episodes a week since then. That's awesome. So, okay. But when you're going in there for your last day, like there's gotta be some major doubts going through your head. Like, how do you, how do you overcome that? Like what's driving you to really like, I know your wife kind of pushed you to, you know, stop complaining, but was it like just that you hated your job or was it you like, what's, what's kind of going through your head? Like what's making you make that decision? I, I hated the idea of having to go some everywhere, somewhere every day that I hate. Like, I, I don't know. I've always had a problem with anybody being in charge of what I do. And like, it's almost sounds like arrogant. And I'm sure it's just cause I'm like a stubborn guy, but I just have always had an issue with people deciding what my day is about. My biggest dream has always been to be free to make those choices for myself. And so every day that I went to work, I hated it. I hated work. I hated being there. I hated that I had to be there. I hated people being in charge of me. And I just kind of turned that into fuel. And I turned it into something that I used to kind of block out the fear and the risk. And I just ran with it because it was scary. For sure, it was scary. And there's a lot of doubts. But I'm also, um, I don't know, I think I talked myself into being confident about it enough, like, that I'm like, oh, I'll just figure out whatever happens. I'll just figure it out. I it's kind of a good and a bad trait that I don't like worry about the future, <laughs> but I just decided, yeah, I'm, if I'm going to do it, I got to do it. And if I'm scared, it's just going to slow me down. So I decided to not be scared. Yeah. I just decided not to be scared. Dude, those are <laughs> words of it. Words of wisdom right there. I hope so, man. I, I try to like not get too motivational and preachy about it. Cause I know it's not the same. My circumstances weren't the same as anybody else's, but like, it really, you just have to make the decision and be like, this is what I'm about. This is what I'm going to do. I know it will make me happier and you just have to run with it. Yeah. And I mean, just from a practical standpoint, you said you were like getting out of debt and stuff. Like I'm sure you had yeah. to make some, some sacrifices Oh yeah. to, to make that happen. I think that's something that people don't really see. They're like, Oh, he's just got like tons of YouTube subscribers and he's got deals from cam chef and first light or whatever like all oh, that uh, must be nice right but they yeah, don't, don't see, see that yeah like they don't see the the sacrifice and behind the scenes and i'm sure i mean you can talk about that a little bit if you want like what kind of what kind of sacrifices are you making like and and what's making you make that decision yeah so most of the sacrifices i make are definitely like material possessions when my wife and i got married even before we got married i had uh, I bought a brand new home. Um, I had, you know, a nice lifted Chevy, newer truck. My wife had a brand new car that we bought right after we got married. I had, you know, four wheelers. I had a dirt bike. I had everything like material stuff. I had a ton of guns. I had all everything just because we lived our life in a way where we bought what we wanted. And that was like really all we worried about. And then when we started having kids, we realized like that's totally unsustainable for our family on one income. And I wanted my wife to be able to stay home with my boys. So that was when the sacrifice really started. Even before I had the whole YouTube thing in mind, we decided that we were going to get out of debt. Um, I hated having a mortgage, hang, having that hanging over my head and that amount of debt that I knew I had to pay back. Like it always drove me crazy. So the first thing I wanted to do was get rid of our house. 
So we sold our house, we sold my truck, we sold her new car, uh, we sold all the four-wheelers, all the dirt bikes, all everything, and we put all that money into getting out of debt. And when it was all said and done, we still had, between what was left on the car loans and the credit card debt that we'd accumulated just from being dumb, we still had something like $27,000 in debt. And we decided we'd bite the bullet and we moved into my in-law's basement. And uh, we just worked our butts off to get out of debt. And it took us probably, I want to say six months of putting everything we had, every single penny we could scrape together, any extra work I could find into just knocking that debt out. And we paid it off. And it was just like the most liberating thing in the world just to like be free of that huge burden. And as soon as we walked out of there, I'm like, never again. I'm never going back into debt. Dude, and awesome. we've been able been able to not do it until now and you know that that exhilaration's kind of gone like I take it for granted now that I don't owe anybody anything um but it really was like such a liberating thing for me and we still live a very very modest lifestyle uh, we rent a home it, it suits our needs it's very comfortable um we don't have nice vehicles we drive older cars we have an old camp trailer and we just would rather live that kind of a lifestyle and have the freedom that we do. My wife can stay home and I can go out every day and do what I love. And to us, that's worth sacrificing all those material possessions. That's a, I really admire that. Like, uh, that's not an easy decision to make. Like when you, when you're making a choice between, you know, stuff that makes your life comfortable and then like kind of a bigger picture thing, yeah, like uh, a higher purpose, you know, it, it, it's easier to, take the material possessions in the now and give it up for what would be, you know, what you describe as freedom in the future. Yeah. So that's awesome. Yeah. So this time, so now you've got your, your YouTube thing, like while you were, before you started your, um, your YouTube channel, were you like selling your sheds? Were you like looking out, going and finding sheds with the purpose of, of selling them and making money off of them? Or was it just kind of a thing that you did and you like, like poking, posting the pictures and stuff or like, how did that Yeah, work? I didn't ever start it with the intention of making any money at all. I just liked, I liked Instagram and liked doing it. Um, I always sold Antler every year just because I would use that to buy more gear or whatever. I use it to fund, like if I wanted to upgrade my optics or something, I would use all my Antler money from the year to do that. So I always sold a few. Um, but like once I started doing it full time, started finding more Antler and um, it became a pretty important part of my income in the beginning. And then uh, over time I started to buy a little bit of antler, buy and sell. I've kind of stopped that now, but for the first year that was pretty important to us being able to, you know, eat, I could earn a little bit of money like that. So it, uh, it's always been something that I've done and it's something that I'll do every year, you know, but now it's not, it's not such a huge part of my income. I don't, I don't necessarily rely on that antler income, but it's just nice to have, yeah, you it's know, like it's, it's like so another easy. little source if you need a little extra cash for something. Yeah, for sure. Like this year, I think I'm gonna use all my antler money and get my eyes fixed. I need LASIK surgery. So I'm like blind. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So I think that's my plan for the that, year. That could be kind of important. <laughs> yeah, I mean, with contacts, I see just fine. I'm just sick of the inconvenience of having to deal with them all the time. Your contact solution freezing in your tent. Oh, it happens now. <laughs> I know. I hate that. Super annoying. <laughs> So like how, I mean, this is something I've kind of always wondered and never really looked into is like, how much, how much do shed antlers go for? Like, I know you grade them like elk versus mule deer and then brown versus white versus chalk. 
but like how much i mean just ballpark i mean you don't have to get into nitty-gritty but yeah ballpark how much if you go out on a day and you pick up a certain number of sheds like how much do you make in like a day yeah, it, it, it's so varied, you know, it depends what the price of antlers doing. It's been steady the last couple of years that elk's been like around, you know, 13 to $14 a pound for brown. So if you can pick up one brown elk horn, you're usually looking like, you know, like a nice six point horns worth, usually a hundred bucks, um, give or take. Uh, and then, so if you can go out and have a good day and pick up, you know, three or four elk sheds is a pretty good day anymore. You might pick up $250 an antler, $300 an antler, depending on the grade and everything you pick up. Um, deer obviously is a lot less because a single deer shed only weighs a pound or two. Um, and the, the price on deer is usually a little bit less than elk too. So you got to pick up a lot of deer horns to make any money or, um, you know, a few elk sheds or something that's like unique or a trophy quality, then you can get a little more money out of it. But you know, a good day is two, 300 bucks. It's a pretty good day. And then there's days where you like, don't even find anything. And then, oh yeah, a lot of days (laughs) on the average, like, I've always looked at it across the board and been like, uh, do I actually ever net gain anything? Like, I don't know that you do with, with your fuel and everything. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I spent a hundred bucks in gas and I picked up one mule deer antler. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's been a lot of days like that. There's been days that are the opposite too. Like I remember when we were getting out of debt, we didn't have like much, you know, for money. And I remember one year going out, uh, it was like probably the second week in December. And I'm like, hoping I'm like, I can find some horns this week. Cause you know, then I'll be able to do something good for Christmas, you know? And I remember getting out and hitting this ridge in Nevada and I picked up six hard white elk sheds and they were all six points over three thirty. And I was oh, like, man. bingo. I made, I picked up like six, six hundred, $700 an antler on that ridge and went home, bought some Christmas presents. It's kind of cool. awesome. <laughs> That's kinda, great timing too. Yeah. The shed gods, they were looking down that day. That's awesome. But for every trip like that, you know, I've had a hundred where I'm like, well, that was a loss. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's just like any type of hunting where you're just like, yeah, the today's going to be awesome. The weather's perfect. And you're like, I'm in the perfect area. I scouted and then yep. nothing <laughs> happens it's all like, the time. It's like how any kind of hunting is, whether the animal's alive or if you're just looking for their antlers. <laughs> yep. Yeah. There's too many variables in the equation anymore. Like there's so many people looking for them and their winter range is changing a lot. So it's just, it's a big question mark. You never know how you're going to do. Yeah. And, uh, but you don't only do shed hunting on your YouTube channel. You do all your hunts. Like you go on pretty cool adventures and like down to Mexico doing coos deer. Yeah. You know, you kind of hunt all over, which is cool. So like what, yeah. what's one hunt that you did this year where, um, or anytime, like tell me about a time when you thought to yourself, like, dude, this is why I hunt. Like, this is why I'm out here. And you just, like, you know, the high of highs, like, tell me about a time when you hit that. Um, we had a couple, I, I get those all the time. That's like the, the biggest thing for me is like, I love that reaffirmation, you know, like you feel like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm on this adventure. I can't believe I'm in this place right now. Like I never thought I would be to this point. Like I had the chance to go to Australia this year and like, that was just crazy in and of itself being able to just go to that place and hunt. Um, and we had, a killer hunt in New Mexico this year with Eric and, and Jordan and my buddy Andreas that was just like, we killed three bulls in five days in New Mexico. And, uh, we ended up at 12,000 feet the last day killing a bull for Eric. And it was just, I don't know, after we hauled his bull up out, of, he killed it in the worst, the worst place that I've ever 
been a part of an elk at all <laughs> oh, man. We, we hauled it up out of there it was an avalanche shoot we climbed up out of there like 1600 vertical feet and uh we got to the top man and we just kind of like had a moment me and uh eric and jordan where we're just like dude like you believe that we're here and that we're doing this like it's just so crazy to to take it a second and step back and that was definitely one of those hunts that was just like just felt different you know yeah like, I felt like more of not necessarily an accomplishment but the, just the ones that you stop and you're like well this is like real this is our lives and like we made our lives like this because like we decided to work hard and and uh it just was like a lot of like reaffirmation that i was trying to do the right thing that's cool man yeah i definitely know what that feeling's like you get out and you're just you, you kind of come to, you know, you're like spending time looking through a glass or like, Oh, maybe I'll go down this Ridge or whatever. And then if you like take a moment and you're like, I'm standing on the top of a mountain hunting, <laughs> yep. you're like, this is the day, like this moment right here is what I look forward to all year long. And I'm doing yep. it right now. Yeah. I'm like, sure. yeah, those moments are, are pretty awesome. Pretty special. Yep, for sure. And I think like, it's important to take a minute and recognize that and, and write it down too. Like when you have those moments and, and look back on it later, like if you're having a, a lousy time or a rough day and just kind of remember what the good feels like. So what other hunts do you, do you have? Are you done for the year? Are you going to do a, a coos deer hunt later in the year? I know you do that last year, but do you have any more hunts coming up this season or is um, it you're just doing shows and stuff? Yeah, I kind of am on the show thing for a minute here. Uh, I have um, a whitetail hunt in Texas that I can still go down and do. Um, it's open until mid-February. Okay. Uh, I think I'll get down there hopefully uh, in January. They said it's a good time to come hunt them once they're done rutting and they're back on the feed. So hopefully I'll get a chance to go sit a tree. I Usually we hunt them out of ground blind or out of box blinds and stuff. I've been there a couple times before, but <clears throat> I really want to shoot one with my bow out of a tree stand. So yeah. we're gonna try try to do that. Go freeze. It's actually this area in East Texas. <laughs> last time I was there, it was it was cold, and we just sat there and waited and waited. So yeah. um, hopefully that'll come through. And then January first, I'll start hunting Arizona with a bow. Um, I really want to try to tree stand a coos deer this year. I don't know what it is. It's, I got like a tree sand fixation at Dude, the moment. Not, I want to not go. a lot of people do that. Coos yeah, deer I tree don't, stand. Yeah, my buddy Ben Sandals done it a couple times um, for velvet bucks in the summertime. Um, but I really want to try it on a rut and coos and see if like, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to go about it. I'm going to have to go watch them and see if it's even going to be feasible because we found a few that I'd like to chase when I had um, the tag that I had this this past year is an over-the-counter archery tag, so I can hunt it again starting January 1st. And so I'm going to go back down there and see. There's a spot that I – there's a spring and there's some trees, and I think it might work out, but I'll just have to go look at it and see. That would be cool. Do they? Yeah, uh, it's kind of a gamble. Man, yeah, like I've <laughs> – when you talk about go out there and freeze, I've like I've, – I've wanted to like do a, a whitetail hunt or something, mm -hmm. but like sitting – in a tree stand in the middle of November in like the Midwest, that just sounds awful. <laughs> like, yeah. I know I there's it. like this whole like East first West kind of like, yeah, that's like, we don't do tree stands in the West, but like, you know, some guys do and, and they're pretty successful, but like, yeah. we're not, we're not used to freezing our butts off in a tree here in the West very much. Like, right. It, like it takes a different thing. kind of toughness, you know, like out here, I think in the West, we're definitely burning more calories and 
and you're hiking up these big hills or how it depends on how you hunt, you know, but out there it's a mental game in a lot of ways. Like how long can you sit here and freeze just hoping that, you know, the deer you're there to shoot cruises by. Like yeah. it's a, it's a different thing. And I haven't done it enough to really speak to it a ton. Like I have white to hunt a little bit at tree stand stuff, but it's uh, I get it. I totally get it. After spending time out there, it's like, I don't know, but I've always been like that. Whatever type of hunting I'm doing at the moment, I think is the coolest thing. And I get like <laughs> obsessed with it and yeah. I think about it all the time. And then like, if I switch gears, the next thing I get obsessed with that. Like I never want to quit shed hunting and start hunting. And then like once I start hunting, I don't want to quit and go shed hunt. So it's just whatever I'm, I'm doing, I just get hyper-focused on it and get like geeked out on it. That's just like, that's the way to do it, man. Like just stay present and focused on what you're doing and live it up in the moment. That's like, that's just good advice anyway. Yeah. I think it just like helps to have kind of an obsessive personality too. Cause <laughs> like whatever, I don't know, like after I went to Ohio this past year and hunted whitetails and, and during and after that trip for a few weeks, like all I could watch was like hunting public videos. Like all I did was just watch whitetail stuff, whitetail stuff. And it's kind of, kind of in like a little bit of a rut until you go do the next thing. Yeah. Those hunting public guys, those are, those are, those guys are legit. Yeah, man. I really like their stuff. I, I've like, heard of them a lot, but I really started watching their stuff. Like I binge watched a bunch of it on prime and uh, I like it, man. Like yeah. It they're like, they're like army crawling in on, on whitetail and stuff. Right. Like ghillie suits. And everything. <laughs> yeah. Like they're like going full Rambo on these things. Yeah. And, I love it. Yeah. It's just like a whole different perspective on, on whitetail hunting. Like, I don't know, yeah. maybe it's just cause I'm not around it very much. I don't, I don't know what whitetail hunters do, but I just yeah. imagine them every, like, it's just November sitting in a tree stand. That's what I think of yeah. when I think of whitetail hunting, but. Well, that's what TV made it, you know, for so long. It's just like 18 minute episodes. Like, oh, we're going to do this. It's going to show some B-roll of us planning this field. And that's going to show us hanging a tree stand. And that's going to show us sitting. And then a buck's going to come by and I'm going to shoot it. And we're going to go get it out of the bean field. Like that was TV. That was like yeah. <laughs> out for hunting TV in general for so long. And like hunting public, just, I feel like a lot of these guys are gaining popularity because they're showing the whole process and they're telling the whole story and they're showing when they hit a buck bad or they're showing the whole recovery process or when they have to pull out for a day and go find the landowner and get permission. They yeah, show like whole take thing. a dog out and blood trail yeah. with the dog or whatever. Yeah, yeah, they're showing that whole process. I think that's why you see a lot of the popularity with guys like uh, Born and Raised and with like the Hush guys because they open everything up to the camera. There's like no behind the scenes because what you see is like everything that happens. And I yeah. think people really – it makes you feel like you're a part of the whole experience instead of just watching like this – manicured production of, of a hunting show yeah and i think that's been changing pretty rapidly these days like yeah um i know i just in my time being out like i haven't been hunting really my whole life like most guys um mm -hmm. kind of came into it later awesome. and i uh yeah even in just my time while i've been hunting i've seen kind of a shift and like people are caring more about not just like the kill shot Mm -hmm. caring more about conservation like wildlife management and ecosystems and how it plays into this whole bigger picture right and i think the, like the long form youtube stuff is really helpful for the industry i mean it's yeah. also kind of a cesspool if you get into the comments oh yeah <laughs> some of these things. definitely like, there's so much hate and stuff but like yeah. i think yeah i think it's overall been a been a net positive the youtube thing um for hunting. Oh, yeah. But, um, I don't know. What's your kind of perspective on that? Like 
you probably get you're probably more in tune with the, com- the comment section like kind of who's watching your videos and like i feel like there's like a new younger generation coming up that is way different than the old timers you know oh yeah definitely their perspective so like what's your kind of perspective on that and what are your kind of thoughts on that um i think it's a great thing for the young hunters for sure um i think it puts a lot of pressure on the people out there making videos to be positive role models too and to show ethical behavior and to make sure that if, you know, there's a less than ideal situation that you explain it to people. So they understand like the reasoning behind, um, you know, why you might have to make a difficult choice or something like that. I just think it's important to, to keep present in mind that there are, you know, the young viewers watching. And I think also that that's how the younger generation is consuming media. So, I mean, whether people like it or not and how it has affected the hunting industry, whether they're, feel it's a positive or a negative it doesn't really matter because that's the way that's the way it's all going to be consumed like all media is going to be online media that's just the future of everything um but i i feel like the unique platform especially of youtube and social media allows us to be truthful with people without having to sugarcoat it to the level that we'd have to do for tv so i yeah. think it leads people i know that me personally it leads me to make better decisions you know when i'm out in the field and i'm hunting it's like okay i could take this shot at this animal do i want to do it or do i not want to do it either way like i've made a commitment that i'm going to show it to the viewers and i'm going to be honest about how it went down so do i want to face those people and be like i decided to take a dumb shot and i hit this buck bad and now i have to deal with it and it's like no you know i don't want to have to go through the whole process of not only showing that but it's helped me i don't know it's kind of a weird way and it almost seems like a a kind of like a backwards moral idea to think I, I shouldn't do that because people might see. But the reality of it is, is like I try to be a better hunter and an ethical hunter because I'm aware of the fact that I could be an example to a younger person or to someone who's new to hunting. Yeah. Or like so, if you do take a bad shot it, by explaining it, it might help somebody else not take a bad shot. So absolutely. like, I mean, if it's already happened I think there's a a real advantage to just talking about it, putting out there in the open and then explaining why you shouldn't do that. And I mean, it takes kind of, you know, like some integrity to, to put that out there and be vulnerable like that. But I think it helps other people, especially when you have lots of young guys looking up to you to um, like follow your role model and, and, and make the right choice the next time. So they, they don't make that mistake. Yeah. I know that I know that like a lot of young people watch the hush guys Mm -hmm. and they really look up to those guys. And, um, I think probably it's the same for you too. Like, um, Mm -hmm. where people are looking up to you and I mean, you, for like with a lot of power comes a lot of responsibility or whatever the quote is from (laughs) Spider-Man. Yeah. Like, it's just true. Like we gotta be, I just, I think our age, just this time in our lives where everything's on the internet, like nothing's going to be a secret. There's no hiding from it. If you put it out there, it's going to be there forever now. Yep. So you might as well, you know, be a good person and, <laughs> and, um, act like everybody's watching you anyway, because they are. Right. Yeah, for sure. I can't tell you like me and Eric, it seems like I've talked to Eric about this a hundred times where like you'll have a situation that it's, it would be so much easier to just be like let's cut that out of the video you know yeah. like so they whatever it might be whether it's a bad shot on an animal or just something like a dumb mistake in the video it would be so easy to just be like 
eh, let's edit that out. And you would protect yourself from a lot of criticism too. Oh yeah, for sure. And people don't, I, maybe they do realize, maybe they don't. It always cracks me up when you get YouTube comments of people who like try to, you know, act like they understand the situation better than you do, even though you filmed it, you edited it. I mean, you were there, you lived it, but they'll be yeah. like, Oh, that's not what happened. This happened. Or they'll be like, Oh, you shouldn't have done that. It's like, yeah, I know. And I also could have cut it out and you never would have known. So it's not like you're like, they act like it's like a gotcha moment. They're like, Oh yeah. You know, you're like, well, I chose like, to put um, that in the video. Yeah. You're like, I, I put it on there. Like, I know what happened. You don't have to tell me yeah. what happened. <laughs> right. But yeah. it's like, I'll take all of those comments. I'll take all the, the hate. I'll take all the, the jabs that people take at you in exchange for the positive feedback that we get from people, man, because it, it's 10 to one positive to negative comments easily, maybe more. And to hear people's stories, like I read through my YouTube comments and it's like, Hey man, I had a similar thing happen on a buck this year. I felt really bad about it. I was kind of hesitant to even talk about it, but watching this video helped me out. Like I got a lot of comments like that on my Ohio white to hunt. I hit a deer the first day. I spent the rest of the hunt trying to find it and was never able to recover it. And you know, I got just comment after comment of people like, dude, thank you for putting that in the video. We've all been there. It just like makes it easy for us to, to know like, Oh, I'm not the only guy that's had this issue or, you know, and also tips and tricks on like how to go about approaching it the next time it happens. So yeah, the positives always outweigh the negatives and the negative is always the loudest, but it's never the majority. Yeah, that's true. And that's a good thing to just keep in mind. Like as you, as we go through life, you know, like people, right. like if you count them up, like it's overwhelmingly positive. Yeah. good. It's hard um, though, man. It's hard not to look at the negatives and just like, those are the ones you internalize, you know, yeah. those are the ones that you think about. And it's like, I should be giving feedback. Like those are the comments I answer back to, you know, but like I should be giving positive reinforcement to the people who are being positive yeah. to me instead of just like seeking out negative comments and trying to make them look dumb or crack a joke or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, I remember I, I watched one of your videos. I can't remember where you were. It was, um, where you, you took a shot and you didn't know if you hit it or not. And then you just like had a feeling that you, and you walk, you went back up in the hill the next day and found it. Like, what was, yeah. can you tell that story? Yeah. So that was a mule deer, um, yeah, yeah. Last year, a muzzleloader buck. And, uh, I shot at a buck right at dark. And it was one of those moments where like hindsight, I probably shouldn't have taken that shot. Um, I had the deer, he was feeding, but it was when I first saw him, he was looking, I was looking right into the sun at him and I couldn't really get like the view I wanted to know if I wanted to shoot him or not. And then as the sun got behind the hill, I could tell I wanted to shoot him, but it was a little too dark. And, I was having to take my crosshairs off his body, then put him back on. And then like, it was just a little bit, you know, iffy, but I took the shot because I was excited, which I, you know, I've done that a few times and I, I thought I missed him. I heard it smack. I saw it spark on the rocks. Um, and I'm like, oh, I, I missed that deer. I think I'm like, well, I'll go over there and look. So I went over in the dark and I gritted and I didn't find any blood, no hair, no sign of him. Um, so I thought, oh, I'm pretty sure I missed him. So I went back to camp. Um, told my buddy about it and he's like, yeah, you probably missed it, but we'll just, you know, we'll just see. And we were going to hunt kind of the same area the next day. So we went out the next day. Um, and we like glassed through the morning. I glassed all the places that I thought that buck might be to try to see him again. And we didn't see him or in the morning. So we decided to go and look again for blood just cause I started feeling a little bit weird about it. We can like, maybe I didn't cover it well enough in the dark. We could probably check a little bit better. So we went over there maybe 10 in the morning, the day after started gridding down through and just looking everywhere 
and we found blood. We found uh, just a blood trail on the rocks. And like, oh, I just got like sick, dude. I'm like, oh no, like, because it's it's really warm. It was early September, and uh, so we started gridding like crazy, um, up and down the hill, just trying to turn up blood. Troy, my buddy, started following blood, and I just kind of went to the top and started looking everywhere. Looked pretty much through the day, and as it got to be like evening time. I decided to go over to another rock pile. I'm like, just go glass and see if I could turn them off or whatever. And I got to the, the next rock pile and one of our target bucks was like right on the other side of that rock pile. I had him at 80 yards and uh, he's a giant, like giant deer. And I looked at him through my scope and I'm like, oh, I want to shoot that deer like really bad. <laughs> I'm like, was I can't it, look was at he him. bigger than the one you shot? The day before. He was, yeah, yeah, he was like a definitely a wider and a heavier deer. I don't know if he would have scored as well, but he was just a really like big, mature buck. And I'm like, oh, I just, I didn't have a primer on my muzzleloader. I'm like, I'm not putting a primer on. I'm just going to put my gun down. And I watched him walk around the hill. I'm like, so I started glassing to see if I could find my deer. And I glassed like through the oak and the mahogany. I glassed this white patch of fur. And I was like, huh couldn't really tell what it was but it looked like the underbelly of a deer and so I walked down the ridge to get a different angle and glass back on it and I could see a hoof sticking up in the air I'm like oh my gosh that's oh, him no. so I walked down off the rock pond walked over to him and and he was laying there and I'd actually hit him really good um just hit him kind of behind the front shoulder and angled through and came out kind of his offside hip but right through the vitals I you know, I'd imagine that it would have got both lungs, but he just made a big, you know, he probably went 1,200 yards or so. Oh, wow. And piled up and died. He'd gone a long ways and gone around the hill into the next basin. And and there he was. And the sad part was it had been so hot. It had been into the upper 80s all day that he was spoiled and um, the meat was all bad. He, I mean, it was obvious that the meat was bad and I felt terrible about it. I felt sick about it. I was glad that I followed through and that I put in the effort to, to recover him and everything. And I ended up just cutting my tag and, and going home, but it was good and bad. You know, it was a sad experience. Like when I, wa I watched that YouTube video a couple of times and like, I'm holding back tears the whole time just cause I felt so bad about wasting this whole deer, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But experiences like that. I think, I think they help you be more careful in the future. And they also like remind you what it's about. Cause I've seen videos in similar situations of people that, They'll find a deer like that, bloated up. You can tell the meat's bad and everything, and they're just celebrating their stoked because they found it. Like, that just seems so wrong to me. Yeah, um, it's like, but yeah, mm -hmm. you just learn from it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it really makes you wonder why. It makes you realize like why you're out there. I mean, because you feel that, and you're like, man, I'm like bummed. But here's a dead deer in front of me. Like, what's the problem? And right, like, I did the thing the I was supposed to do, but. You're like, yeah, but the real trophy, like the trophy shot of the holding the back strap. Uh huh. It's like, that's the trophy shot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I love that. And I, I you know, I'm there for both 100%. I want to kill big stuff. I'm oh, yeah, like, for sure. No problem admitting it. But yeah, I love the meat, man. That is, uh, I, yeah. if, if I had to choose one or the other, I would eat the meat, you know? So, right. Yeah. But, just, and, and then if you have two deer standing there, you're going to shoot the bigger one every I'll, time. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that it's a conflict for me. You know, you can yeah. be a trophy hunter and a meat hunter, and, I, and that's what I do. I do both. Yeah, you're like, I just like nice headgear on my meat. It's the right. problem. Bigger bucks, <laughs> have more meat. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> but then you also have like when people shoot a really small buck and they're like, Oh man, he's going to be a good eating. It's like, yeah, <laughs> you're like, yeah, they're uh, all good eating though. Right. <laughs> Just like the little one. Like, yeah, you, you wanted a bigger one. You probably yeah. did. But I mean, yeah, I mean, it's complicated. I mean, you can't, you can't judge somebody just because of their reaction to something. No, like that, but if they got a tag in their pocket, man, they shoot whatever they want. I don't care. Yeah. I'm the same way. Well, um, for anyone who is like looking to get into the shed hunting game, just just like some quick tips to help people find a few more shed antlers. I know that's probably not like the cool thing to do. Like people are <laughs> like, you don't have to reveal all your secrets, but I know some no. guys, like most of the people who listen to this podcast are, or like brand new or even non hunters. And they're like, uh-huh. maybe they're intrigued by the idea of going finding some sheds. And they're like, sure. what are some, some tips that you can give a, a beginner to find? So the more biggest, sheds? the biggest thing you can do is, is do your scouting. Like you need to know where the elk are when they drop their headgear or the deer are when they drop their headgear. Um, the times vary, you know, elk usually drop early March, um, deer kind of have a little bit wider, um, right range they'll start dropping the end of january and through february into march um but just get out there in the hills and get eyes on them they have certain feed sources that they localize on in the winter time they're kind of unique to the different regions um but if you find just good winter feed like when i shed hunt a lot i shed a lot in nevada and i find the bitter brush and the cliff rows that those elk like to feed on in the winter and I i just kind of focus on those areas and find the elevation that they hang out it can change year to year things like snowpack can affect it or you know some years the elk come clear down on the flats and some years they stay up high and some years you'll have a herd up high and a herd down low it's just kind of it's mostly just going out and putting the time in and glassing them up and finding them and like you can go out and just glass like up on the faces and if you see bulls up there just just check up on them every once in a while they don't usually move around too much they'll move from face to face. And if you can keep tabs on them, ideally and let them drop up there, then you can hike in and have like a really good day. Um, the problem is, is with the popularity of it now, there's, it's hard to have a herd of bulls to yourself. Um, most of the time somebody else will know about them or know about the general location or will have been shed hunting in there for years. So they might beat you to them. And that's the tempting thing. The tempting thing is to run them off when you go see that one bull's dropped, but you really just, shooting yourself in the foot running the rest of them away yeah but i know utah has even some rules about um well i mean they i think they have like you have to have a shed gathering permit during certain times of the year and then it's just you have to take an ethics course which basically tells you don't chase deer around yeah it's all really common sense stuff and i think i don't think utah's approach to it's too bad they put a a season in one year and had a lot of issues enforcing it and a lot of people breaking the rules and just kind of scrapped it. Um, I wish Nevada would scrap theirs, but we haven't been so lucky yet. Yeah. I think, are, are they the only one that has like a season where you're like not allowed to pick up shed antlers? Um, no, there's a, a few States have them. And like, I know Wyoming has closed areas and they just open on a certain date. Um, but they're like, even Wyoming's a little bit more specific. Colorado has a shed season now that they instituted, I think last year, maybe the year before. Um, that's everything I think West of I-70. I can't remember. It, it, there is one in Colorado too, for part of the state, but I, I really don't have a problem with shed seasons in general. I just wish they would be scientific about it instead of just like dumb. 
like the state of Nevada, I think takes the dumbest approach out of all. They just close shed hunting in all the states that border Utah or all the counties that border Utah pretty much. And uh, a lot of it is, I mean, the whole South end of it doesn't get snow hardly at all. The, the animals there don't have high winter kill rates. It's not like they need protecting in those areas. They just do it because, well, I, I guess I have my own theories about why they do it. I think they do it to stick it to out of staters, but um, I don't know. To me, it's a public lands issue. I think that we should be able to access those lands. And I think that shed hunters are the ones who care the most about the wintering animals. It's not in our best interest to chase them and hurt them or anything like that. If, if you chase them, you don't find their sheds. You chase them out of the area. Um, it's just, it's in our best interest to sit back and let them do their thing and then go in and get their antlers. But I don't know, maybe we just need to get on the same page as the state and find some common ground because yeah. the current, the current one just, it's a, it's a hot topic for me. I just have to like <laughs> take a breath when I talk about it. Not be like it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, th- I know people get really, I mean, the deadhead rule in Utah is mm-hmm. something that gets me like questioning. I mean, for right. those of you who don't know, like you can't pick up deadheads in Utah, like which it, if the antler is still attached to a skull plate, you're not allowed to pick it up unless the DWR comes out and doesn't does an investigation and make yeah. sure the animal wasn't poached or something. And like, I've just never really understood the reason behind that. That just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, it definitely is based on an antiquated idea. It's based on the idea that people are going to go out and shoot deer and let them lay and then go out and get their deadheads later. And like maybe at some point in history that was happening. I just don't see, I don't know. I just don't see people doing that. It seems so dumb, but I don't know. Maybe I'm just giving people the benefit of the doubt. Maybe there's more. It's like they're they're like adding a law to protect something that's already illegal. It's like poaching's already illegal. Yep. Catch the poacher. It's like, you think you're going to give them a second chance to catch the, person that picks up the head like what <laughs> oh yeah it's, just... it's it's dumb it's like it's dumb but like this is the same thing in nevada you know wildlife harassment's already illegal so what's a yeah. shed season about yeah just, exactly. just enforce the harassment laws and and if you have another thousand people out in the hills and just tell you tell the shed or like help us out call it in if you see harassment and dude i would call somebody in if they were chasing deer and elk on a four-wheeler or harassing them i would i would call them in a heartbeat but Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Anyway, we could sit here all night and solve all the world's problems. And oh yeah, dude, I got <laughs> I got answers for all. Of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, well, um, Ben, thanks for coming on, man. This is this has been awesome. I think um, this is gonna be beneficial to a lot of people to help understand kind of more what hunters are like because, um, you know, the people have a, a the wrong idea about like what it takes to be like a hunter on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, sure. I think, um, yeah. So th- I hope this is, this is helpful to people that to let them know that it's just not all what they think. And, um, yeah, I think, I think you're going to be helping a lot of people. I know it's really inspiring for me to, to watch your YouTube channel and, uh, where should guys, where should guys go to learn more about you or where, where should they follow you? Where's the best place for people to go? Yeah. So, uh, I do a lot on Instagram. My Instagram is at shed crazy. Um, my YouTube channel is called shed crazy as well. I sell a little bit of apparel online to kind of help fund what I'm doing at get shed And, uh, yeah. And I recently joined up 
forces with canvas cutter. So I have a little bit of ownership in this company now. So that's another way that people can jump on board and, and support there too is, uh, is through canvas cutter. So yeah, people know I love canvas cutter, so go get yeah. you a bedroll. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. a great way. Cool. Well, I appreciate you coming on, man. This has been great. Dude. Thanks for having me. I appreciate all the support and the kind words and, and I appreciate you watching my stuff. Yeah. Thanks, man. All right. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Ben of Shed Crazy. You know, that episode really got me thinking about, you know, he shared that, that hunt of his muzzleloader deer that didn't go quite as planned and shared the details about that. And it kind of inspired me to share a similar story that I had on one of my mule deer hunts and what I did to come back from that. So I'm going to share that story next week. So make sure you're subscribed to the podcast and you'll hear another story like that that is similar in from my point of view. Um, but in the meantime, make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you uh, go check out Shed Crazy, the YouTube channel, as well as his Instagram. I'll leave links to that in the show notes. And you can also go to huntthewest.us slash 14 to see those extended show notes. Huntthewest.us slash 14 for episode 14. I'm also going to leave a link to that video that he talked about in the beginning where he quit his job. So I'm going to leave a link to that. I'm going to make sure I can find that on YouTube and I'll leave a link to it. But I hope that you leave this episode feeling inspired to go out and maybe find some some sheds, maybe to reflect on some of your mistakes as a hunter and improve next time. So get out there, find some sheds, have an epic adventure, and get out there and hunt the West.